0: Well, good morning, New Life Manitou. My name is Carl. Hi. Would you please stand for the scripture reading? This is 1 Samuel 20, verses 11 through 16. Come, Jonathan said, let us go out into the field. So they went there together. And then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord God of Israel that I will surely sound out my father by this time the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed toward you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated, guys. Hello. I'm glad to see all of you. Hey, Andrew. I'm glad to see you. Um my name's Brett. I'm the associate pastor here at uh, New Life Manitou. that's right. Um, Joe and Erica are on a much needed uh, vacation. I think they might be on a cruise at this point they're taking I know he uh, uh, Joe and Erica are taking Rowan. Rowan's the one kid who's the lucky duck who gets to go on the cruise with them I, I, don't, I don't know how, how all that works out, but they're uh, so, yeah, they're, uh, they're going to be gone this week and next week, um, and, then, and then they'll be back. But this week, we are continuing in our series on 1 Samuel. Uh, Kingdom and chaos is what we've been in the last few weeks. That's what they dubbed it, uh, the, this, um, this series. And the volume, if you've been here the last few weeks, I'll catch you up, but if, you, if you've been here the last few weeks, the volume has been steadily increasing on the chaos Part of that over the last few weeks. Ultimately, the story of one Samuel um, is the story of God working to like create, form a people who will be a blessing to the world. That's the entire plot of the Old te- That's the entire plot of Scripture, by the way. Is God claiming a people and forming a people who will bless the world? And one Samuel is especially the story of how we all of us, reject God's reign in de- different ways and, um, and plunge ourselves into darkness and into chaos. Um, all too often, we know this, I don't have to say this, but all too often, we reject the kingdom, don't we? We, re- we reject the reign of God, reject the kingdom of heaven and experience the chaos of hell, don't we? Um, we, we could just say it this way, um, chaos is what happens when we reject the kingdom. That's, if you hadn't been noticing, um, that's what's been happening in the story. This is what happens in our lives as well. When we reject the kingdom, we experience chaos. And, and And it plays out like, on every level of human existence on, on the like the largest scale of like the history of the human race and world history um, down to like the medium sized camp- canvas of like the nation of Israel and down even to the smaller like personal like your personal pan pizza it's to get all the way down to the very smallest size of like our individual lives when god's reign is rejected Chaos reigns, it's the chaos of hell. Over the last few weeks, kind of in these middle chapters of 1 Samuel, we've watched this pattern unfold. It started unfolding in one particular person's life, in the in the life of um, the man named Saul, King Saul. Um, Saul was once the appointed king of Israel, um, but he has since been relieved of that responsibility. No more. You're, you're done. You don't have to be, you're not going to be on the throne anymore. But he won't let go of the throne. God has made it clear over the last couple of weeks, you're not the chosen one, Saul. You're not the chosen one. And, and like Saul has like dug in his heels. He'll, he will die protecting his right to be supreme is what he will do. You can have this crown when you pry it off my cold, dead head. Is like the, way, is like the posture that Saul has taken over the last couple of chapters. David, um, a, a couple of chapters ago, David arrived in Saul's life in, in 1 Samuel 17, um, defeating, it's a very familiar story, defeating the uh, champion of Gath named Goliath. And since then, ever since then, Saul has become like, he's been, been becoming increasingly obsessed with David. <laughs> like, the people, the, the people are beginning to, like, cheer David. They're, they're happy about David. He's, he's, look at this guy. we got an MVP all of a sudden. They're singing songs like we heard it last week. Saul has slain his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands, Saul slay soldiers. But David slays squadrons. Saul conquers enemies. But David conquers armies. It's like the number one hit on Israel's radio. It's like everybody's hearing it. Everyone's playing, like you walk into a grocery store and it's playing. And it's like, man, that song just won't go, I can't escape it. And it's making Saul crazy. It's making Saul crazy. The people are like falling in love with David. And Saul's own family is like falling in love with David. Saul's, uh, we heard, read today, Saul's son Jonathan feels like this deep, he's found a kindred spirit in David. It's like he's got this deep camaraderie and love for and loyalty to David. Uh, Saul's daughter, Michal, Um, she actually, it was a couple of chapters ago in uh, chapter 18, verse uh, 20, she falls head over heels madly in love with David and has actually been given in marriage to uh, David. And so uh, Saul, so David in Saul's mind is this kid who conquers giants. He's a general who leads his armies. He's the the new family member. He's his son-in-law who all of his children love and adore and he's the the star of Israel's favorite song. (laughs) Like it's making Saul crazy. When he's eating, he's thinking about David. When he's sleeping, He's dreaming about David. When he's sitting on the throne, he is brooding about David. Um, we could say it this way: Saul is uh, increasingly obsessed with David because at Saul is absolutely consumed with himself. We could say it that way: Saul is—he's increasingly obsessed with David, and it's not David's fault. He's increasingly obsessed with David because Saul is absolutely consumed with himself. That's the way it works, isn't it? Like we, in our lives, that we find ourselves like obsessed with something, obsessed with someone. You know what they're doing where they're traveling to. Did you hear where did did you hear Rowan gets to go on a cruise? <laughs> How well they are performing, the promotion that they got. They got to but at the heart of it, it's not them we are obsessed with, really. At the heart of it, we are obsessed with them because we are consumed with ourselves. That promotion at work makes us so angry because, really, like at the heart of it, we're consumed with why we didn't get it. Their Facebook posts about traveling—they um, eat us alive because um, internally, because we are consumed with the fact that we're not traveling. I'm consumed with how boring my life is. Consumed with ingratitude about the gifts that have been put in our lives. We obsess about them and their latest purchase, whether it was the, the car we saw them driving in or the, or the clothes we saw or the TV. That Man, did you see in their house? We're consumed with ourselves, wishing that we had them. Self-obsession often disguises itself as obsession with others. Self-obsession often disguises itself as being preoccupied and obsessed with other people. It's really you. It's really me that I'm consumed with. Um, that, If you want to get to the heart of it, Saul is increasingly obsessed with David because he is absolutely consumed with Saul. David is driving Saul crazy, but it's not David's fault. Saul's just so consumed with himself and what he wants. Namely, he wants to keep his throne, he wants to be the guy. I am the king and I will not give that up. And so he sees David doing all the right things, David acting with integrity, and he hates him. hates him. Consp- conspiracy theories like multiplying in his mind. He's like, David is secretly working to overthrow me. The masses are going to storm the palace and they're going to make David king. My son Jonathan, he hates me. He must hate me. And he's thrown in with David. And it's all because Saul is clinging to something that God has said no to. God, we don't do that, <laughs> right? Saul's clinging to something that God has said no to. God has said that's not the way your life is gonna go, Saul. You were the king, but no longer. You got to let go of the throne, but Saul keeps clinging where God has said no. And his life, his mind, his, like his personality, every bit of him descends into like hellish chaos. And so we've gotten to the point over the last couple of chapters, it's gotten to the point where weapons have actually started coming out. Over, uh, You can go ahead and throw that slide up. Over the last couple of chapters, we've seen, this is uh, Samuel 18 and 19, and, and then this chapter, 20, verse 33. David was playing the lyre as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand. Every time you see Saul, he's got a spear in his hand. No joke, the guy's always got a weapon. But seriously, in the narrative, it's like narratively significant. Um, he's got a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying, I'll pin David to the wall. We heard this last week. But David eluded him twice. Saul tried again to pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David got out. (laughs) Fool me twice. Um, That night, David made good on his escape. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. That last one from this chapter is really interesting. It's really interesting. Do you want to know why? Do you want to know who the hymn is in that last one? The hymn isn't David. The hymn is Jonathan. The hymn's his son is where Saul's gotten to. Saul's self obsession, his refusal to let go of his dreams for his life and to submit to God's direction have driven him to this. Not just trying to kill David, now he's trying to kill his own son. He's trying to kill Jonathan. Our passage today um, is how we get to verse 33, um, starting just a little bit before what we read today. Uh, David fl- fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked. So David's on his run, on the run. He's been thrown spear at him twice. He said, what have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? So David's been like faithfully serving the king and gotten a few spears thrown his way, and he's like, we're friends, Jonathan, right? What gives? Your dad seems like, he doesn't just seem a little cranky. He's he's like trying to murder me. Um, Verse 2, never, Jonathan replied, you are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. Sweet Jonathan, he's a little naive, isn't he? He's he's optimistic, pure of heart, he's trusting. Um, But David took an oath, he swears, and he says, your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes, and he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this, or he will be grieved. Yeah, I would think so, you're going to kill his best friend. Um, Yet, as surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, there is only one step between me and death. And so Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. And then in verses 5 through 11, re, like leading right into that covenant we heard um, being made between them, David, uh, he tells the plan. This is verses 5 through 11. He says, like, there's going to be this giant feast of the new, the new moon festivals coming up. I'm supposed to sit at, like, the table with you, the royal table, the family table. I'm part of the family now. Um, my feet let's let my seat be empty. And your dad's going to ask, where am I? And tell him that I've gone to Bethlehem. Tell him I've gone to Bethlehem for a family thing. You know, i got to go. If he seems chill about it, we're probably okay. But if he, like, flips his lid, if he, like, goes berserk, we'll know that he wanted me here for something more than just dinner, you know, that he's just looking for the next chance he gets. He's going to Pin me to the wall. He's always got a spear in his hand. So that's the plan. Verses five through eleven. We're going to see how Saul reacts when David isn't around, and uh, when it seems like David like might be out of his grasp. David's flown the coop. Let's see what happens. And then we hear um, the passage that we um, that we had today. Verse twelve. Then Jonathan said to David, "I swear by Yahweh." I will find. I will sound out my father. I'll let him know how he acts. um, I'll let you know how he acts when you're not around. If he favors you, or verse uh, thirteen, or if he intends to harm you, and then they, um, you heard it, read, uh, heard Carl read it. There's, they make a vow to one another to protect each other's families. Verses uh, fourteen through sixteen. Jonathan made a covenant. With the house of David, verse 16, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. Anyone who's an enemy of David. That's significant if your dad might be an enemy. Um, And then verse 17, Jonathan um, had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. The pronouns get like a little blurry right here, even in English and in Hebrew. Um, He loved him as he loved himself. Who are the hims and who are the he's in there? Um, It doesn't really matter. I wonder if it's like intentional because it applies both ways. David loves Jonathan and Jonathan loves David. They are committed to each other. And this is like costly for Jonathan because when he says in verse 13, he says, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. That's huge. He's like acknowledging David is the chosen one. The Lord's going to be with you, David. David, you're the rightful king of Israel. That is staggering. Saul and Jonathan, father and son, they share almost everything in common. But they have one crucial, life-changing difference. They're both likable. They're both leaders. They're both from the same tribe of Benjamin. They are both rejected from the kingship of Israel. Neither Saul nor Jonathan are Yahweh's chosen king. God has rejected the royal line of David, but where Saul is going crazy about this by trying to cling to something that God has said no to. My life must be like this. My life must be like this. I must be king. We could say it this way. Uh, Jonathan has discovered the spacious freedom in following the supreme instead of fighting the supreme. That's the key Crucial, life-changing difference between father and son. Dave, Jonathan has discovered the spacious freedom of following the supreme instead of fighting the supreme. God has made it clear, you're not the chosen one, Saul. And the effect is the same for Saul's son, isn't it? You are not the chosen one, Jonathan. And what's Jonathan's response? Well, that's just fine. Who is? Who's the chosen one? I am not the chosen one. Okay, very good. I'm not destined to be king. Where's God's anointed? Where is God's Mashiach? Where is his smeared? Where's the Christ? Where? Who can I serve? I don't have to be supreme. That's the crucial, life-changing difference between Saul and his son, is that one will go to the grave clinging to the fantasy that he is supreme, and the other, may we learn it, the other has learned that his life is full and free and totally fulfilled in serving the true supreme. There's freedom in serving and giving. Jonathan is committed to something. Uh, his life is committed to something bigger than his own life. It's not about my life. My life's about this life. My life's about this. And so the scene unfolds, uh, verses 24 through 34. Uh, David hid in the field. And when the new moon feast came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his customary place by the wall opposite Jonathan. And Abner, he's like this general, sat next to Saul. Um, But David's place was empty. Saul said nothing that day, for he thought something must have happened to David to make him ceremonially unclean. You could get unclean ceremonially like lots of different ways. Um, Surely he is unclean. But the next day... The second day of the month, David's place was empty again. When Saul said to his son, Why? hasn't the son of Je- he can't like even say David's name. He- why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the, this is significant, <laughs> um, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered, well, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go because my- our family is observing a sacrifice in the town and my brother has ordered me to be there. If I have found favor in your eyes, Jonathan, let me get away to see my brothers. And that's why he's not come to the king's table. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Eugene Peterson, right? Eugene Peterson says, you son of a slut, is what Eugene Peterson translates it in the message. It's like, this is really strong language that he's directing towards his son. You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Why must he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father, but Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. And then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. On that second day of the feast, he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. (sighs) what a crazy story. (laughs) I mean, and it's crazy. Um, There's, it's crazy, not just because the father's trying to kill his son. Uh, That's, I mean, that's clinical. That's like certifiable. But like, it's also crazy. what, What really strikes me is like Saul can't imagine why David isn't there. Did you notice that? Saul's, like, surprised that Dave, he's expecting him to be there. He looks around, and he's, like, genuinely surprised. Well, where's David? Bro, by my count, you've tried to kill him twice. <laughs> but why isn't David here? You know? It's, 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 like, it's like the more hate has filled Saul, the more confusion has filled Saul. You know? It's like, it's like the less we love, the less we understand the world. We don't understand the world when, when we're not loving. Saul has not learned the spacious freedom of serving a supreme. His life is absolutely consumed with being supreme. Saul and Jonathan are both experiencing the same thing. You are not the chosen one. It's someone else but they're they're experiencing the same thing but it has radically different results in their lives on the one hand Saul is filled with delusion confusion anger and crazy you know and on the other Jonathan is filled with clarity this is what my life's about humility it's not about me love generosity loyalty and it seems like that's because Saul and his son have fundamentally—they have two different postures about their lives. Saul sees his life as primarily about him. It's about me, me. Saul, I'm the center of the story. I am the center of my own life. Everything should orbit around me. And Saul ultimately can't deal with a world that won't revolve around him. Ultimately, Saul can't deal with a God who won't bow down to him. Saul can't deal with a God who won't submit to Saul's will. I'm so glad none of us are, (laughs) I'm so glad I'm not like this. And Jonathan, on the other hand, uh, sees his life, not as about me, but as a gift to be given to God and to whomever God chooses. Me, Jonathan, I'm a gift. I'm a gift not for me, I'm a gift for others. However my life plays out, whatever God chooses, whomever God chooses, I am going to give myself away. We could say it this way if we wanted to. Me at the center of my life makes for madness. Me as a gift to give away makes for meaning. That's what we're seeing playing out. That's father on top and son on bottom. The most pervasive form of chaos in the world is a person with their self at the center of their own life. That is is the most pervasive form of chaos and the thing out of which all chaos is growing in the world. We find a way to make everything about us, our dreams, our desires, our talents, our career, our children, our ministry, it's all about me, me. We find endless ways to make our life, our world about me, how I can be actualized, how I can be recognized, how I can find fulfillment. We find endless ways of, they're really ways of us being supreme, is really what it is. And they make us crazy. They make us crazy. What's the madness in your life, I guess, is where we're going today. Um, Because we all carry things in here. What is, um, like, weighing on you? What is the thing during the week that is, like, distorting you? It's twisting you. Throwing, like, your whole life out of whack, out of balance, like, out of proportion. What is that? You don't have to think long. It's the thing that's preoccupying you. While you're walking, talking, eating, dreaming, sitting on the throne. You, (laughs) that's not in my notes. (laughs) It's the thing that you're thinking about all the time. It's the thing that's preoccupying you, distorting your life, however it looks in your life. And it looks different for all of us. It's the disease. It's the same disease. It's the same disease. It's the madness of me, me, me. It's the twisted inward posture of our lives that no one has to teach us i have a three-year-old nobody has to teach her this posture of walking contorted through life and everything is about me 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 and that is what god comes in the flesh in jesus to save us from he comes the true supreme comes to set us free who uh jesus said it this way he said um, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, thats this loaded title for, the, for, for Jesus, um, we could talk about it sometime, uh, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus comes to each one of us who are diseased. We have the same disease of me, me, me. And he comes to each one of us and he like untwists our deepest selves. It's a lifetime project that he's at work in us. And it, takes different look, it, takes, it goes in different phases. But he comes to untwist us and to teach us like the truest way of being alive And that looks like Jonathan, looks like Jonathan's mirroring Jesus for us right here. He's giving his life to David. He's living for others. We are not the center of the world. We do not sit on the throne. We're not the chosen one. You're not the chosen one. That title belongs to someone else. And that can make you crazy, or it can make you joyous. It's not about me. It doesn't all ride on me. Establishing the kingdom, saving the world, rescuing those that I love. I cannot do it, and I'm not expected to. I'm not, someone else is chosen. Someone else is the chosen one. Someone else is the Christ. Someone else is supreme. And as I submit my life to him, he shares all things with me. Me is not the center. Me is a gift for others. So this morning, um, like let's bow our heads as we're moving towards the table what would it look like this morning for, um, for you to let go of the delusion that you're supreme? We don't consciously think this most of the time, but like our, our craziness over various areas of our life, they're actually a reflection that we are uh, clinging to something. Um, what would it look like for you to let go of that this morning? And how can you be using your energy to give to others. One of the surest signs of God's kingdom breaking into the world is um, a person losing their life for the sake of other people. I think Jesus said something like that, um, because that person's actually beginning to find life. And so, Jesus, we come to your table this morning, and we recognize that you hold life and death before us. There are two paths on which we can journey. There's the path of ever increasing like frustration and selfishness, like madness. And there's this other path that you yourself have blazed. You have shown us what you, God, are like. It's this path of um, emptying. This path of serving. This path of trust and giving ultimately it's the path of the cross and uh, Lord we invite you um, to call us to that path show us what it looks like to have a life that's not about us but ultimately a life that is about um, love loving you and loving other people free us up for that because, Spirit, you're the one drawing us. I invite you to stand. If you're serving communion, you can come forward and um, prepare the table. Um, I'd like for us to... Um, I feel like this morning we... Um, this is a really good like inflection point. It's a good um, moment of reflection where we can say um, maybe for some of us we are I don't know if we um, have ever had this moment where we're like you know what I'm tired of my life being about me it's not working it's not working and um, the spirit of God I say this with humility and it's a, a tremendous mystery to me but the spirit of God is calling you into true life, to follow Jesus. He's calling all of us, um, but he's uh, maybe it's the first time for you uh, this morning that you've really thought and reflected on it. And so I'd like um, for all of us just in these moments, maybe we could just open our hands before us, before we come to the table. And there's a, um, there's a prayer that's gonna be up on the screen. And I'd like for us to all say it together. It's a prayer from New Life North that I, um, I think is important and significant for us to join with. And so um, we pray, Father in heaven, we cannot save ourselves. We need help. We need Jesus. And we're asking today that you would grant us this grace. Thank you for forgiving our sins. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. Thank you for bringing me home. Would you fill me with the Holy Spirit and help me follow Jesus all the days of my life? I ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.